Pastor Xavier Reese takes us to Psalm 104 to describe the far-reaching impact of the flood. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded them. They have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. It's describing the flood. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Acts of God, natural disasters. No matter what insurance agents call them, nothing happens apart from God's knowledge, including the flood of Noah's day. And today, as Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Genesis, he points to God's sovereign hand during the days the ark floated upon the earth. Let's join him for today's important message examining both the spiritual and scientific aspects of the flood in today's message, God's Signature, The Flood. Now look at the first five verses of chapter 8. One through three, God began to remove the waters from the earth. In verse 1 there, God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. The word remember means to call to mind, brought to mind. When we use it with God, it doesn't mean he forgot. It means that now he began to work on behalf of Noah. We read in the scriptures, he remembers Sodom and Gomorrah. He remembered Rachel. It doesn't mean he forgets like you and I do. But now is the time he begins to work on their behalf again. God uses the wind to begin the decrease. Notice that. God made the wind to pass over the earth. The atmospheric and climatic condition had changed with the elimination of the water blanket. And the volcanic activity caused the circuit of the winds. A lot of stuff going on. All the Atlantic Ocean has a whole ridge, mid-ridge there of volcanic activity all over. You can imagine the earth breaking up, all the stuff. We've seen what happened with Mount St. Helens, just one little volcano. Just think of all of them, all the earth breaking up, all the water coming down. We can only imagine the Spirit of God brought forth the earth from the deep oceans in creation. Now, he uses a natural wind current in the changes in the geological formations. God caused the wind and these normal geological changes to subside. It means to decrease, to abate. Notice verse 2 and 3. God also stopped the sources of the flood. So we're told that the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. God's in control. He turns it off. Just like if you would go in there and take a shower, you turn it on, turn it off. God's in control. In verse 3, the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters were decreased. This is five months based on a 30-day month. Look at verse 4 and 5. God brought the ark to rest on the earth. The date is recorded, by the way. Here we go again. Then the ark rested in the seventh month. The 17th day of the month, an allusion to the name of Noah, which means rest. Here it is. It rested. The very day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the civil calendar of the Jews, April being the first month, the very same day, three days after the 14th, Jesus rose from the dead. Everything in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. How interesting. 
When there's dates, there's a reason why God gives us dates. When he allows us able to calculate, we should do our math. We should be good students of it. Notice the places stated on the mountains of Ararat. The word is in the plural, mountains, not particularly one mountain. This is the area of the kingdom of North Assyria, later called Armenia, now part of eastern Turkey. The topography had changed drastically. It would be like if there was a storm and it's happened, you know, but in the Midwest you have tornadoes and stuff like that or you have different storms, whatever, and you go down in your cellar and you hear for two or three days all this banging around, everything else, and you come up, and when they come up, there is nothing. I mean, you, you can't believe that it's where you live. What would happen worldwide? Water is destructive. It must have blown his mind. The next date is two and a half months later in verse 5. And the waters decrease continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the top of the mountains were seen. The progression of the flood upward, now the progression of the flood downwards. The time is now about seven and a half months, if you compare chapter 7, verse 11 to here. Notice the method and time to know the flood had dried is given from verse 6 to verse 14 now. Verse 6 through 9, Noah opened the window of the ark at the end of the 40 days and sent out a raven and a dove to find out if the waters were receded from the face of the ground and the raven remained out while the dove returned. So Noah remained in the ark. I find this interesting because Noah's not in a hurry. He waited 120 years. We have to be careful that we don't wait 120 years to do God's will and then we blow it in one week. That we're always patient regardless of the time. Whenever you feel pressure, a decision to buy a car, a house, uh, get married or anything like that, there's pressure, run away, back off, don't get it. That's not God. Be careful of pressure. It make you do dumb things you regret. The raven being a scavenger remained away, feeding off the carnage. It's an unclean beast. Leviticus 11.15, Deuteronomy 14.14. 14. The dove, not finding land, returned to the ark. He's a clean beast and offered for sacrifice often in the book of Leviticus. Noah tenderly took the dove back into the ark. He could have said, well, you know, I got a whole bunch of these. Let it die. No. Two for reproduction each. It's a male or a female. Bring them back in. His obedience. Verse 10 and 11. Noah, seven days later, sent out the dove again. Notice seven, seven, seven-day week. They're not ages. They're not geological ages. Noah waited patiently. There it is again, verse 10. Verse 11, the dove came to him in the evening with a freshly plucked olive leaf in her mouth, indicating new growth. The waters were receded. Now Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. And so on verse 12 to 14, Noah, another seven days, sends out the dove again. In verse 12, the dove did not return again to him anymore. The date of the earth, by the way, of being dried is recorded to the detail. Verse 13, the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth. Noah removed the covering of the ark. He looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. 
Amazing. The date of the complete drying of the earth is recorded for us then in verse 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was drying. The waiting time was 56 days after verse 13. One year and 11 days from the day it began to rain. The word for flood in the New Testament is unique of Noah's flood as the Hebrew word. You can't mistake in it. The word is cataclysmos. We get our word cataclysm from it. Matthew 24, Luke 17, 2 Peter 2. Cataclysm. The geological column was formed rapidly, one unit following immediately after the other, demonstrating a catastrophic occurrence rather than a process of uniformitarianism of millions and billions of years. The fossil record, as you know, in the sedimentary deposits is further evidence of rapid burial. If they were gradually buried through long periods of time, ages or time, they would have been destroyed, decayed, or scavengers would have got them. When you go by a mountain hiking and you see an animal on the side, it doesn't turn to a fossil. It decays, it gets eaten, or picked up. It's roadkill for an animal or maybe you, but it's not going to be there. The different types of sedimentary rock as well as igneous and metamorphic rock give strong evidence that they could never have been produced through the process of uniformitarianism. The laws of science refute that. The evidence within the strata refutes it. The receding and water runoff the mountain ranges into the valleys and the oceans brought about the fine balance of water and land mass called isostasy, lifting the land. When there's certain mass and a certain amount of water, it'll lift the earth. There's a whole study, a science of that. This is true in the geological structure of the mountains, the canyons, the alluvial plains like the Grand Canyon. You think that little river made the Grand Canyon? No. It was just rushing water receding back with rocks, with sand, and carving that sucker all at one time. <laughs> Amazing. The Andes. Himalayas and others were thrust upward in the cataclysmic deluge by the breaking up of the earth's crust and the subterranean water with volcanic activity, the valleys depressing, the water rushing, causing up thrust of the mountain ranges. You can only imagine, you know how heavy water is, you know how powerful it is. Many of the highest mountains have evidence of human inhabitants of working the land, but now they are higher than the timberline, clearly giving evidence that these at one time were at much lower altitude. How'd they get up there? They were pushed up. The Himalayas, the Andes, the Appalachians are recently young formations, and the Sierra Nevadas are still rising, by the way. Though it's only a fraction of an inch a year, they're still rising. Sedimentary strata and sea life are found in the highest mountains. Every high mountain has sedimentary strata of sea life. How to get there? All over the world, interior lakes and seas show evidence of much higher water levels than the recent past. Rivers also everywhere show that they once carried much greater quantities of water and sediment than they do today. Listen to the psalm. The psalm describes the flood in detail. Psalm 104, verse 6 through 9. It says, You covered it with the deep as with a garment. 
The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded them. They have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. It's describing the flood. This is the duration of the flood. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. It is detailed. It is repetitious. It is a faithful record. Which brings us to the cessation of the flood in chapter 8, verse 15 through 22. In verse 15 through 19, the divine command to leave the ark is given. God was ready to start a new world. The word then is a time word. At that particular time, God spoke to Noah. He knows the perfect time. Oh, that we learn that. Do not be impatient. Do not be self-willed. Make sure you wait upon God. Just as God had done throughout his call to build the ark, God here is the one in control. Verse 16 and 17, God commanded Noah to leave the ark. God told Noah, go out of the ark. He told him, come into the ark, get out of the ark now. You, your wife, your sons, your sons' wives with you. And then God told him also, bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and the cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God gave the specific reason for the purpose. Look at 17. So that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Everything is detailed. Nothing left to speculation. So in verse 18 and 19, God saw the consistent obedience of Noah. All eight people left the ark. So Noah went out, his sons, his wives, and his sons, wives with him. And all the animals left the ark also. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, uh, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to families, they went out of the ark. The world of Noah, the one he knew, was no more. The topography had changed dramatically altogether forever. The location of his past home was gone. A new world. Do you think it impressed his mind? I think it did. Even as God has changed your life and mine in the past 31 years, the work of God has impressed my mind and heart. As my life was a shamble and he gave me purpose in life. What a difference. Notice the divine approval and promises given in verse 20 through 22. In 20, the man Noah worshiped God. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is the first time the word altar appears. The implication being that there was a practice by Noah to worship in an altar prior to the fact. But it even goes back before that. I'm sure it was in Eden with Adam and Eve. The man Noah, seeing the judgment had passed over him, offers a burnt offering. And the word here is symbolic of dedication and consecration going up to God. Completely burned, consumed. Dedicated and consecrated to God. Moses built an altar at Sinai. Here you have Moses. You had Abraham building altars, Isaac building altars, always speaking of fellowship. Noah took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, offered burnt offerings on the altar. So the number of seven clean animals is evident now, leaving six to multiply, three males, three females. That's why the seven. Nothing left to imagination. It's all laid out for us. Verse 11, the list of the clean and unclean animals are given. 
Uh, well, they're given here clean and unclean, but the list of them are given later on in the law, in Leviticus 11 of that. Notice the offerings were in worship of the Creator, in gratitude and thankfulness for God's grace, dedicating and consecrating his life to him. And so the Lord accepted the worship of Noah in verse 21. The identity of God is by his covenant name, Yahweh. The phrase, the Lord smell a soothing aroma, indicates a pleasing aroma of acceptance. The expression is found throughout the book of Leviticus in the offering of the sacrifices. God was pleased with Noah. He accepted his offering in fellowship. And so the response of Yahweh is marked by a twofold promise in verse 21. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. He would not bring another curse like Adam's on the ground, though man continues to be evil. He gives a promise. Secondly, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. He would never destroy the earth, the world, by water. But he will do it through fire after the thousand years. For, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that. Notice the duration in verse 22 of the promise. It's after the creative order. First, by the all-encompassing duration of the earth. While the earth remains. As long as the earth is here, there will be no flood. There will be local floods, but not universal flood. Second, by the dependable, all-functioning created order. Seed time and harvest. Spring, summer, fall, winter. Cold and heat. Winter and summer. And day and night shall not cease. The normal, everyday cycle of God's creative order is a signature and a promise of God that he will not do it. Now, later on in chapter 9, he's going to give him the, the rainbow also as he makes a covenant with him. But here, he's dealing with the dependable, orderly things of creation. The sign of the seasons as it's pledged for the ground to bear seed. In this respect, Noah's name was prophetic of the rest to man in his labor becoming much easier. Depending on the Lord, looking to him. In 1845, tablets and cuneiforms inscriptions were discovered in the city of Nineveh, 20,000 of them. In 1872, George Smith of the British Museum was translating them when he came across the tablets that paralleled the account of the flood in many ways. The ark has been attested throughout history. Berusus, the historian from Babylon, wrote about the ark in 275 B.C. Josephus attested it to relics of the ark. In 1935, Russian aviator photographed it from the air. And an expedition was detached to it, and evidence that was gathered was lost in the Bolshevik Revolution, sadly. Now, whether the ark is there or not is irrelevant. I don't need the ark. But if it landed on one of those mountains, there's relics up there somewhere. But do you think people would believe it they found it? No. They wouldn't believe because you don't believe by the ark or the ark of the covenant if it's found. You believe God by faith. And depend on him to change your heart and mind. Noah must have been astonished as he saw the world, how different it was. He must have blown his mind. Oceans were now more extensive 
less land. 70% water. The, some of those oceans were as deep as 25,000 feet. Of course, he didn't know it, but they were there. The thermal blanket was different. Ozone, ultraviolet rays, cosmic radiation, little neutrinos that causes the mutation of the cells and, and, and it begins longevity downward. Mountain ranges were higher. Valleys by the runoff and canyons were greater. The fossil speaks of an instant burial, as you know. Preservation. No fossils are being made today in the gigantic measure that we have them right now all over the world. Certainly Mount St. Helens probably created some fossils, but it was local. There were few because that's what has to happen, instant burials. The flood buried everything. That's why there's fossils all over the world at the same time. About 5 million mammoths have been found in Alaska and Siberia, frozen in standing positions and kneeling positions. When they cut their digestive tracts, there's vegetation still fresh. Now, do you think a mammoth's going to stay there and kneel until he's frozen? Ages, his flesh would rot. He was frozen instantly in the Ice Age. 500,000. How much evidence you want? The first law of thermodynamics was understood in the 19th century by scientists, which is the law of mass and energy and conservation, that in a closed system, any energy may be transferred to another, but the energy remains the same. Nothing new is being created. So you can change it from solid to gas or liquid, but it's virtually the same. Nothing has changed. It still remains the same amount. But the second law of thermodynamics is the corollary principle of mass, energy, and deterioration. Though the amount of energy remains unchanged, the amount of usefulness and availability of energy decreases the law of entropy. It goes down. But the total amount remains the same from solid to gas or liquid or vice versa. But entropy, everything is going downward. Two simple laws refuse all of the religion of evolution. You need nothing else. All the evidence around us cries out cataclysm, flood, not evolution. The scientists, in their desperation to rescue their religion of evolution, have denied the very evidence of science, geology, and archaeology and have fraudulently chosen to fabricate this system of their own minds, being willingly ignorant of the truth of God's revelation. I've already given to you all the fraud hoaxes of Pythagoras Erectus, Erect Ape Man, and Down Man, and many others by science as they treat the teeth and do all kinds of stuff that have been taught in our universe and still continue to be taught as fact in our, in our universities. Hard to believe what intelligent people can do. Dumb things when you reject God. We can go through the book of Ecclesiastes. Many of them, we have the wind cycles, the circus, the hydrological cycle described in the Bible that we didn't know anything about till, till just recently, the last centuries. The currents in the ocean, Coriolis effect, that's in the Bible. It's named after the guy who discovered them so ships can take easier paths to get across the ocean. It's in the Bible. The secrets of the snow Joe speaks about. <laughs> A close examination of the record of Genesis 
and the basic laws of science refuse the theory of evolution. Even as we've looked at the flood through these three stages, the inception of the flood, the duration of the flood, and the cessation of the flood. It is detailed, it is exact, it is great. God's signature, the flood. He signed it. It's authentic. Pastor Xavier Reese and the legitimacy of the flood of Noah's day. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study called God's Signature, The Flood. It's available on CD for just $4. And this includes what Pastor Xavier talked about the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is God's Signature, The Flood. Or simply mention today's date when you get in touch. Write for yours at Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure to tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. What does a second-rate world look like? Find out when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 